We're back for season six of my podcast. I'm all about putting the human factor back into business by helping organisations become places where people are happy, well and able to perform at their best. And that's what my guests shed light on with their expertise and experience. As those who know me will be very familiar with, my mantra is simple, get people right, get business right. And that means we'll be covering a whole range of topics that impact on employee experience, engagement and mental well-being. And many of you will know that I hate tick boxes. So we'll be kicking those out, getting beneath the surface of shiny new initiatives, stripping back layers of complexity and going back to the fundamentals of good business. That's the people. This series runs alongside the launch of Leadership Labs and Manager Labs that I'm excited to be facilitating with the fabulous Gemma Ellison of Heart Leadership. These are interactive and dynamic communities that turn typical L&D on its head. If you are a manager or leader and want an opportunity to problem solve, challenge the status quo, experiment and evaluate all within a small supportive group, get in touch. More information and contact details are in the podcast notes. I'm your host, Lisa, psychologist, psychotherapist and founder of It's Time for Change. Thank you for joining me on Beyond the Water Cooler. I have the absolute pleasure of sitting here with Stuart Codling, who's Chief Inspector of Thames Valley Police. Um, and he's looking incredibly smart in his full uniform. So people who are listening to this rather than watching it, um, you need to go check out um, Stuart on uh, YouTube because uh, I think you're the smartly, the smartest dressed uh, guest I've ever had. So thank you, Stuart. Um, so pleasure. James Butler introduced us, which is great. Yes. He's known James since uh, school and yeah. has, well, so he shares some gossip about you. Actually, he has, you shared gossip about him, which I have loved hearing about. Um, and the reason I've invited you on, I'm not to share all the gossip, but um, is because you spoke recently at the Royal Foundation Mental Health Symposium. Um, yes. They've been running some training about healthy team culture. Tomorrow, I think I'm right in saying that you're off to Bryce Norton with some fancy yeah. and RAF Bryce Norton, yeah. Health and Wellbeing Day. Um, and you set up a men's forum in the Thames Valley Police, um, which currently has around 650 members. So it's fair to say that you know a thing or two about what's going on in the space around mental wellbeing and engaging employees, make sure that they're having the most meaningful experience. So I'm super pleased to have you here with me today, Stuart. Thank, thank you, you. So much for joining me. Oh, thank you. It's a pleasure. Tell me briefly uh, about your role. So you're sitting there in your uniform. You were, you were saying at the start you're definitely not a chief constable. <laughs> definitely <laughs> not. No. So tell, tell me a bit more about what it is that keeps you busy. So my my day to day role in Thames Valley Police is um, as the force lead for professionalising neighbourhood policing. So that's looking across the three counties of Thames Valley, Oxfordshire, Berkshire and Buckinghamshire, and looking at the way our neighbourhood teams engage with their communities, collaborate with partners, um, and then work together to solve those problems in local communities, um, whether that be a, a neighbourhood, a, a business community or or, or whatever so really looking to draw on regional and national best practice good practice and bring that into Thames Valley and then across Thames Valley looking at sharing what one area might be doing well 
um, all looking to see where our gaps are and, and where we can best fill those and how we fill those gaps so that we are serving our communities as, as best we can. And, and how long have you been in policing? 26 years. So five, five years longer than I've been with my wife. Um, so yeah, 19, August 97, I joined West Yorkshire. Um, and then um, my, my father passed away in 99, which then led me to transfer back down. Um, and it's, it's one of those funny things, Lisa, as, as much as I'd have him here back here in a heartbeat um, to have my wife and my children and the life I've had in the last 20 odd years, um, I wouldn't change it. And that's, that's it's a really strange thing to say. But um, yeah, brought me down to Thames Valley um, and um, one might say I never look back. I go back every now and again, but... <laughs> I said, as you never look back, you, as you said that, you have a great smile on your face. It's like twinkling your eye. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Go yeah. on. No, I, I, I was... Um, all, my, all my friends from West Yorkshire will say, uh, he's a southern boy anyway. I was from Newbury and I, I travelled up there and um, enjoyed the hospitality for... 12 years learned my trade up there it's a, such a good place to learn policing um and um and then to come back home as, as such to Berkshire and um and then police my own patch um has just been yeah has, has been great and has allowed me that um that understanding I suppose about the the impact that policing has on my family on my children so um, yeah, that, like I say, it's a, it's an odd one because that losing my father was the biggest um, biggest um, milestone I've ever had to get across. Um, but yeah, I, I wouldn't change what I've got now for the world. How long have you been chief inspector? Um, about four and a half years. So I did two and a half years in our what we call a contact management. Um, unit which is the department that deals with those phone calls coming in from the public um, and then looks to deploy officers um, uh, and then the last two years in this current role. So what got you so interested in the space around mental well-being and mental health? Uh, I think it, it, it definitely started with a friend of mine who's um he's a police inspector and he was closely linked to a military charity um called the pilgrim bandits and, and they were all about supporting their staff their veterans that had come back some with significant trauma um i mean horrendous um trauma and injuries um but their mantra was all about that always a little bit further and it was about pushing pushing each other and using each other's experience um as a way of supporting other people at the same time um allowing you to look inwardly and get that strength to carry on um and um he progressed that and and now runs a small police charity called the curtis palmer program um which is named after a dorset officer that the military charity supported um, back in 2011. Curtis was only in his late 20s and had a brain tumour. Um, and they enabled him to jump from an airplane 
um, and it, he couldn't say thank you to them because the tumour had spread to his esophagus. But they they knew, and his mum was able to tell them that they'd given him back that that sense of control over his life. So we carry his name quite fondly. I never met him. Um, I've I've been lucky enough to meet his parents. But yes, so Damien um, was the, the sort of one to get me involved, um, and and he's a, an absolute stalwart in supporting our colleagues, our peers, and looking after each other. Um, and and I suppose from there, it just kind of grew. We then we had, I think, five tragic losses in about three years um, of officers, um, some who died by suicide uh, and, and others who died during the course of duty or on the way home from work. Um, and... Um, and it was just a conversation with the chief constable to say, I think we've reached that point, sir, where um, it, it, it's, um, it, we need it. We need, we, we need something. We, um, uh, and and, um, and, and uh, from there it was born. That was just over two years ago. Um, and um, yeah, and we've progressed from there. So I'm really curious to know how, because, as an outsider to the police force, people, um, I think, often assume the police to be quite a tough lot of people. You, know, you have to be quite tough doing what the job you do. Yeah. I'm curious to know how your interest in this and how much time you spend investing in, in this has changed you in terms of how you are in the police and, and how that kind of sits alongside that you know, are you someone who's just always a very caring person? Do you have to switch on and off that kind of that tough side and that caring side? You know, how does that kind of fit? I, I think, I think my, I think my family and my friends would say I probably always did have an an element of that. You you can't see, but I'm six foot eight and I'm nineteen stone, um, uh, and I probably am one of those classic big blokes who. The last thing I want to do is get into a fight. The last thing I want is conflict. I just want to sit down and enjoy myself, enjoy my time with my friends. Um, over the last 26 years, it's helped me. You know, I don't, um, uh, I've been that, that guy, that bloke, the copper um, who thought he was indestructible walking through a pub door into a, a massive fight. I don't need to wait for backup and just go in. Um, or go into any kind of public disorder kind of situation. Um, and, and, and that's still the case, Lisa. I think it's, it's one of the important messages I try and sort of talk about when I talk to the men, um, is that it's not about me losing that strength, that sense of who I am as a, as a policeman, who I am as... Stuart Codling. It's not about me displacing that and and bringing in other things. It's about me layering up some other skills and um, uh, uh, and traits, if you like, on top of it that actually enable me to manage. Especially in in our world, um, I think I said to you when we met before that I got to a point in the job where I told my staff. Um, 
we have a policy with um, sudden unexpected deaths where super, as a supervisor, you're expected to go to the scene because as the experienced one, I cast my eye over it as an ex-detective. I, I know the signs to look for um, because we need to make some decisions as to whether we need to involve an investigation team or whether if there's nothing untoward, um, we can just um, support the family through the coronial process. But I told my team I'd seen enough. I'd seen enough um, dead people and I didn't need to see any more. And I think um, that's the that's the bit, I suppose. When I look back, I think there are those moments where um, that was probably me starting to mature a little bit in terms of those other traits. Um, but um, yeah, I, I, I definitely talk to the guys a lot about the fact that this isn't removing your strengths, those those obvious strengths that you talk to and you're right to, to mention, you know, policing does have a place where it needs to, um, to it needs to use force that, that can look like a lot of different things, but um, being compassionate, being kind, showing vulnerability aren't weaknesses. They're strengths that I think, you know, um, will allow us to have, certainly with the guys, those conversations about the issues that, like I said, with, we started with some real tragedies of losing men to suicide. Um, well, if we can't talk about that, if we can't broach the subject, if we can't, if we can't sit and listen to someone, um, or feel that I can sit in silence and and I'll and I'll talk when I'm ready. Then, then we're going to suffer even more. Um, so, and I think part of the value in terms of what you're doing is that you're someone from within the force who has decided your interest in this, and you, yeah. I guess, upskilled yourself and gained the knowledge. Yeah able to relate to your workforce and I think I mean some people think they've got to be an expert to talk about mental health yeah. Yeah. and actually you're a lay person who's just a yeah. conversation and normalizing it and, and, and I think yeah that's another really important point um, and, I, and I mentioned that to the symposium and that was one of those moments where I'm trying to think how do I cover off 20 minutes talking to a room um, and and I just think that's really important for people to know. It's really important for um, the men that I talk to to know. I, I don't judge. I'm not. I'm not there to say um, anything about the situation they're going through or what they're feeling. I, I'm. I'm not an expert. Um, I. I come with that understanding. I think and that empathy of of being a man and being a man who who's made those mistakes and probably will carry on making those mistakes. Um, yeah. So I, I think that's really important. And I think, you know, when we look at what's on offer and, and when I talk about Thames Valley police, we have some amazing um, existing frameworks and support mechanisms that uh, are out there you know I can phone 24 7 for counseling I can get advice about gambling I can go to someone about bereavement um, but I know that's sometimes for some men that's not what they need um, and and having that having that ear uh, of someone who is 
um, probably to a to a certain degree very much alike and 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 struggling the same to explain things away. That's why sometimes even now I'm clumsy because it's it's tricky. It's not it's not entirely natural. It, do, it doesn't feel that way. But but I think actually if I I think it comes across as being natural because clumsy is natural. When people yeah. are word perfect and they know exactly what they're saying, it's almost too yeah. polished. Yeah. 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 Are just feeling our way and we don't know what's going to be said next or what's going to happen next. No. And you're really immersed no. in in that space with that person and you're curious and you're open-minded, it's going to be a bit clumsy. And I think that shows genuine care. Yeah. Because it's not all it's not textbook. You're not opening up and saying right you've just mentioned that you've got these sorts of thoughts or yeah. behaviors that this is now the, the protocol it's like let's like get rid of that and let's just be a bit more human about it yeah yeah i think so i hope so and i think you know when i look back at some of the work that we've been involved in over the last two years some of the events that we've gone to some of the conversations we've we've had um sometimes you think you know we've we've held webinars um We've now got our own podcast, which oh, is amazing. I know. Oh, um, uh, and, and sometimes I think, you know, I look at the numbers on the webinar and think there's only 30, there's only 40 people. It's quite low. You know, we're an organization of eight and a half thousand people. There's four and a half thousand men that I'm not reaching. And then you get the phone call or the email around the back and, and somebody says that, you know, thanks. Um, and uh, and we've had some incredible conversations with small numbers, but when we're talking about when you're talking about preventing a tragedy like suicide, it's, it's one. That's all, you know. Um, and um, yeah, that's been that's. I think that's what keeps us going because sometimes <laughs> sometimes it is it's hard work. Eh? It's it's hard work. It's hard work motivating myself. And I know the other members of the, the committee feel the same. It can be hard work talking to the men. It can be hard work getting past some people who don't think that there is a need or a space where men need this stuff. Um, that, that, and that's, that's men and women that I've come up against that... Um, and, 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 that, and that's probably another conversation, but. Uh, that's that bit where the one thing one thing I've really learned and, and I try and steer clear of is that this isn't a competition this isn't about my time now isn't me taking time away from um you know that we've got a brilliant women's network chaired and run by a brilliant woman um and their focus is very much on development and the fact that there are those inequalities that still exist within policing as there are in a lot of things we get on really well. She is one of our biggest advocates because she gets it. And she knows that um, in, in the work that we do, and one of our pillars is about male allyship, but in the work that we do just generally around mental health, around suicide, around physical well-being, well, you, you're gonna get better men. You're going to get healthier men, happier men. Um, and, and then there's that, just knock on impact to everything else so when you talk about equity in the workplace it's easier for me then to have a conversation with a man 
about those inequalities that exist, about the issues. You know, in in my training today, we were talking about misconduct and and some of the things of reoccurring problems that happen, the reoccurring issues that our women members of staff face. Well, those conversations become easier if I'm talking to a man who's in a good place, who's comfortable and relaxed and healthy. And, but, um, yeah. And, and I think it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because when you talk about, um, and I don't know if it is a gender difference or if it's, it's um, about being a police officer, you're, I remember you'll mean that the last time you talked about wearing a cape and it's that notion of, yeah. and if you're in the police, you're there to look after people. Yeah. Save other people and do what's right by them. And, and actually it's about turning inwards and looking at yourself. Yeah. People don't necessarily do that because they've got time for that. They're too busy looking after no. is that a bad no. yes it is yeah and and one of the um so one of the initiatives we brought in I, I, i'm so i'm really thrilled with this one is um that we deliver two hours of dynamic breath work and cold water therapy uh, that's an offer for every employee in thames valley police at the moment for the next 12 months um and it's it's a practice that i have found just simply to be liberating in terms of my mental balance um but they talk about self-care that's that's the phrase they talk about self-care and and i can see it in people's faces when i say self-care they're like nah it's not why we're here we're not here for that and, and i get that there is that sense you know that and and i want people to know that again that none of this detracts from me coming out and doing my job i promise you it doesn't what it does is enable me to do it longer it enables me to to maintain and manage the repetitive nature of seeing horrible things time and time again um but yeah that that sense of there's value in self-care there's value in taking that time um you know i think some get it and we have people who got really good um, regimes in terms of gym, in terms of nutrition, fitness. We talk about sleep a lot um, because that's that's key. You know, it's one thing. I talk to my kids a lot about sleep. You know, it's again, this is just learning all the time that if there's one thing you need to do well, it's sleep and get that sleep. And especially if you're working a shift pattern where it just messes with your body. Um, but um, yeah, the, the self-care bit and, you know, even getting people to, to understand that 20 minutes, we're not talking hours and hours, talking small chunks, um, but put that time in. And, and a lot of that is about that self-reflection is, you know, whether you like going walking, whether you like going running, you know, that they all work. They really do. Um, it's just selling it to people that... Um, it's worthwhile. Um, I yeah. hear what you're saying because I spend a lot of my time working with leaders who um, and talking about self care, and they all say, uh, "I don't have time for that." Yeah. And yeah. You're like, Actually, if you made time for it, you'd be a better leader. You'd be a better person because you'd feel more energized. You'd have better yeah. health. And you'd be more productive, and you know, your performance would be better. And, everything changes but and, and as you say we're talking 20 minutes and the self-care doesn't have to be i love that you're doing breath work and yeah. 
or watering so on but some people think it's not my thing to say just going for a walk or yes. it's just creating that space isn't it to be able to reflect it, to be able to just yeah just press pause on life and all the demands that are made of people and, and, and I think that's, you know, we talk we talk in some areas um, of policing and lots of areas of policing now are very good at debriefing. So you find time after an incident to discuss what happened. How did that go? Did we, you know, did we achieve our objective, which is primarily to save people or look after people? Yeah, we did. This wasn't quite so good. Or um, And we really go into that in fine detail and we spend time doing that. And it's right that we do. We learn from that the same time for someone to be able to diffuse and really go through a situation that they've just been in this is where for me i look back and and think if i could take you if i could take some of the public with me on a day and show you what it's like to go from um so seven o'clock in the morning and the first job is something like i don't know you got to go to someone's house to tell them that their child has died. you got to go to someone's house to tell them that someone in their family has passed away. Your next job, once you've done that, is can you go to take a statement from someone who's been subject to um, violent behaviour by her partner, has been beaten black and blue, you go and take a statement. And then we go on through the day. And that's just one day. They're not all like that. They're not. But that's the kind of impact and that's the level it's at. So to get some time back in order to digest what you've just seen, what you've just been to, um, because it, otherwise it becomes very robotic. And then, you know, I think people talk about um, there's a there's a proper word. This is why I'm not an expert. Lack of empathy. We lose our sense of empathy. You know, we just become very... Um, Hardened to, it. hardened to it exactly that um and i think for me that's the bit that's the bit in policing that i think stands us out from maybe other international police forces is that i will take my rig off and i'll sit and i'll make you a cup of tea and I'll, and we will have that chat and we will take that time to do the extra things um because it's horrible what's just happened and um and we get that but um, yeah, we don't want to lose that. So, but that that self care, I think you're right. I, I think in terms of me, if I'm thinking about my teams, the best teams that I've I've worked with have been been those teams that you know that we're not off sick, not because I'm telling them they can't go off sick, but because they're not sick, because we're managing it, because we we know it's going to come, we know it's going to happen. That's the job. We know that, and um, but important we have those conversations, and then just we cater for it. So that, like you say, just those little chunks of time or something at the end of a shift to make sure we all come together, um, or a number of us come together in order that we can manage it. But I think so much of what you just said there, Stuart, is such good practice that should be modeled in any industry so what you've just described in terms of empathy and compassion and creating space to talk about the challenges that you know are coming up because they're part of what happens in that role yeah. Um, yeah. and just having a debrief you know that is stuff that should be happening in any organization yeah. that comes back to that space and 
that's treated with like human beings rather than just part you know cogs in a, in a bigger process yeah yeah i, 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 I agree and I, and I think like i said i think we've come we've definitely come a long way lisa when i think back you know, and I don't criticise the, the people that I worked with back in 97 or early 2000s. It's just a different space. Um, we, we do it well on occasion, we do. And, and you know, I think um, big events, policing is, you know, we're super good at, at dealing with big events and the aftermath of big events. I think it's that, that layering of, of one after the other. Those are the ones where um, it, it's tricky. Um, it, how do you capture what the impact for me was, it, you know, in going to a, a sudden death? You know, if two of us go, do we both feel the same? Do we both, um, uh, does it have the same impact on both of us? Um, I don't know, but I did see some, I, I saw a fantastic matrix. I meant to look it up before I, before we started this, uh, the, um, the symposium you mentioned i think it was scottish fire service had come up with a matrix which allows their staff to capture almost on a weekly basis exactly that so it has a list of the sort of impactive um uh incidents that the staff can go to uh, and then it just allows you to record right okay this is what and then at the end of the week, you can actually see on this matrix what you've been to. But importantly, me as your supervisor, I can see and get that holistic view and go, oh, I didn't realise. Wow. That, you know, that um, I, I think it was the fire. Scene. It might have been um, search and rescue, but I'd, I'll dig it up anyway. Yeah. But I, I just thought it's. It sounds it sounds so powerful because it is the information yeah. you need, and it's yeah. capturing that and just understanding yeah. what other people's experience is. I think for me, when I'm talking with leaders and their teams, there's there's one of the common themes that comes up is people don't understand what everyone else is doing. Yeah, there's this assumption that I'm busier than they are, or I've got worse experience than they have. And you think, no, I didn't. What's going on? So if you can find a way of, if you can't do it through you know, conversations. Doing it through a matrix or finding some way of just communicating. This is yeah. actually what my day's been like and my week's been like. Yeah. Yeah. It increases empathy and compassion mm. and you know those yeah. between people and team. I think it's really powerful. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it goes back. It almost goes back to your point that you said about the self care because the matrix is only as good as what I write down on it. And if I'm, if I'm if I think I've got the cape on and I'm not going to tell you whether that's had an impact on me, um, then it, it's not going to show anything. So, but um, no, I, I, yeah, I, I think there are things we can definitely do um, uh, better. Um, like I say, I think we've come a, a, a heck of a long way in policing um, and, it, and it is even sometimes talking and sharing. And I say to my wife that there's, there, there is one element that I have never shared with anyone and I never will share with anyone because it's it's so it, it, it's to me it's the absolute extreme of what we deal with um and and that's it and and I kind of you know um I, that's where I've I think I've learned to and I think everyone in policing and everyone outside of policing that deals with this kind of stuff um has 
you know that's that's there is that bit of self-responsibility of onus on us to come up with how do i manage that how do i um uh, how do i get myself through that um i'm i'm happy to box that one up lisa yeah. Um, and keep that for myself. Um, you know what I like what you were saying about um, self-responsibility because I think I've been talking to a company this week about um, the big wellbeing project and they're talking about where where's the boundary between managers and leaders responsibility yeah. yeah. individual employees responsibility for themselves and there needs to be that conversation around yeah. um, as an organisation and as managers and leaders we can set up different support structures and we can make sure that people have the right knowledge and the right skills and so on but at the end of the day it relies on individuals yeah engage in a way that is responsible and that they are taking ownership and yeah they're doing the right thing by themselves and, and by others so um so i think it's yeah i think that's a really good point you made well, i would love to hear a bit about what you do um because you've, you know, you've mentioned a couple of times that things are changing, practices changing. Yeah. And you are doing things now which are about helping people, I guess, take off their cape a little bit. So yeah. that, you mentioned already the podcast. I listened to the podcast yesterday. It was fantastic. Honestly, I was laughing. I was I was in the kitchen cooking. My daughter came with me, what's going on? Because I was laughing. I was nearly crying. You know, listening to Lols talk about... Um, facing death because of pancreas um i loved you know what you're saying about being clumsy earlier it was that Mm. sense of this is an authentic conversation there Mm. was literally belly laughter and then there were tears and there was that realization we didn't have any tissues in the room because we haven't come prepared for that so it's a real conversation yeah Yeah. but i thought it was so incredibly powerful thank you Oh, it's it's something we uh, two of the two of the committee came up with the idea for the podcast a while ago, um, and again, as typical blokes, it's just taken ages for us to get it done. But um, we we came up with the idea of the branding is the kettle is always on. So the 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 idea was it's telling our men, it's telling everyone in in policing that um, someone is here all the time. There is never a time that's not convenient. Uh, and that's the beauty, actually, of us being 24-7, because pretty much there will be one of us who's working through the night, who'll be on shift. Um, but, um, yeah, the, the Kettle is Always On podcast uh, was about bringing together um, our people to talk to our people. Um, so it was with very much that view of serving police officers who um, were willing to talk about their experiences uh, and Loz East who's a sergeant in Oxford 46 47 years old stage four pancreatic cancer um, and um, just told that, that you know that's it there's nothing that can be done um, so we sat and spoke to him for two and a half hours and you're right it was that was one of those moments that there were four of us and we were all in tears crying tears um uh and and it was that realization that you, yeah it's typical blokes no tissues no hankies nothing um and, and then there were those tears of laughter and um and i think for me i i'd listen back to it we went live with that one 
last week in Thames Valley. So that was um, really pleasing moment for me to get that podcast out especially because we recorded it um i want to say maybe six months ago and and i didn't know whether he was still going to be alive when we released it so that the pressure has been on i really wanted it to go live so that he could hear it and get that feedback from his peers from his mates um to say i've heard your podcast wow um and so that was really nice. Um, and yeah, we've got three more lined up for this year. We've kind of limited ourselves because this is all done, um, you know, outside of our day jobs. Um, so the next one is with one of our officers uh, who um, manages suicidal thoughts. Um, and that's going to be pretty amazing, I think. And we've also got um, a chap called Matt Williams, who's one of our fantastic kind of supporters from outside of policing. Um, he worked for Samaritans for many, many years um, and is Oxfordshire based now. Um, but he's going to talk with uh, John, um, the officer, um, about suicide. And and then we, we've got some others that talk about the worst day of our career, our, our lives, and not an officer who lost his leg when he was driven at and over by um, somebody trying to escape arrest. Um, and, it, and it's all about, Lisa, us, it's like I said to you about the, the charity right at the start. Um, it's very much not using those people, that's the wrong word, but working with them to tell their story about how they, how they have overcome that prognosis of pancreatic cancer how they've overcome the fact that they're probably going to have suicidal thoughts for the rest of their lives how they how they've overcome the fact that i've lost a leg and i can't be the policeman that i was chasing baddies on the streets of maidenhead um and tom's story who's going to talk to that is now an inspector in our force control room and it's an incredible story of overcoming that moment that trauma um and really talking to our guys about those those other strengths you know um so and we talk about it the way that we know to talk about it which is pretty head-on pretty blunt and to the point well and that and i think that's the power of it because it was like it was such a it's the kind of conversation you could just imagine you're yeah. in the pub having just a Good conversation it wasn't it wasn't um all you know like a public like an interview style no. like, formal conversation it was a natural conversation and i think it really normalized how not easy because it, it wasn't an easy conversation um no. i'm guessing to have but how actually you can have these conversations and it's okay and they might you know there's no happy it's not about happy endings it's not about no. Just hearing, and I think when the value in that, you know, one of the presenters had said out at the end that he went to GP, hearing what Loza said, he he recognised that something wasn't right for him, and he went to the GP, and he got yeah. um checked out and realised that there were some things that he could change, and you just think that's the power of yeah. just hearing yeah. stories, hearing how 
they cope it's kind of the resilience it's the strengths and so on and actually just communicating that to others speak up have have a voice yeah. just and when you can talk about it with your peers um it's great because there's such a camaraderie there it's just, it yeah. was, it was yeah. but also people go and get professional help when they need it yeah definitely and the other place it helps is um i shared it with my deputy chief constable who i'm not just saying this he is a lovely man um and he's taken forward a bit of work for us to get prostate screening testing done for our men so we're looking to get funding for that like i said we've got over four and a half thousand men in the organization not all will be of the age um but um, i've had my test done came home like a a proud schoolboy showing that's my result <laughs> me out and they even tested my cholesterol when i was there but but that that came directly from sharing the podcast and and the deputy chief constable hearing Loz talk about his situation and then okay yeah why wouldn't i take on this bit if i yeah if we can prevent or catch early it's a different cancer but again it's not a competition um if we can catch people early with prostate cancer then how great would that be um so um yeah many benefits to it um and, and yeah like you say I, I, that's what exactly what we wanted was just that um we had to go through a few edits because it wasn't scripted. <laughs> I can imagine, just from what so, I heard, I can imagine. Yeah, yeah. I kept pressing the pause button when my kids walked into the room. Um, just, can people outside of um, Tom Valley Police listen to it? Is that so, I can put a link in the show notes or not, is it just... No, at the moment not, no. I'm having that conversation because we do have a Spotify account um, and we do have people who are advanced enough to know how to do that and run that that won't be me um and we do want to put it um out there on spotify um it is it's a really interesting conversation because there are in in almost every other police force in the country there there are groups similar to ours who are either just starting out or just talking about that conversation or just having that awkward chat with their senior officers at the moment about why is it needed um they're just getting over that um and i really want to share the podcast with them as well but yeah i think it's yeah, one of those does go on spotify let me know yeah I'll, yeah I'll definitely share that so what else are you doing that because i know you've talked about i mean obviously you've got um the breath work and the cold water yeah. the podcast um i think you mentioned before you're also doing some webinars um and yeah yeah, so we do. So in between the podcasts, we use the same branding. The kettle is always on um, and we run some really simple MS Teams calls, live um, calls for about half an hour, 45 minutes at a time and um, basically just pick a topic. So it might be men's health related, but we've also gone out to our other support networks. So the, the Thames Valley Women's Network um, Christian Police Association, Muslim Police Association, all the different networks to say, come and use us and come and sit and talk to not only your members, but talk to everyone as well, because those those issues will transcend across. And um, so we've got our next one is next week. 
um, I've got um, our head of investigations for our professional standards department and the police federation coming to talk about male behaviours at Christmas because it's a time when things can go wrong. Um, it's um, uh, you know it's one of those seasonal moments. It's you know we have drink drive campaigns at Christmas because we know people drink more and take risks that they shouldn't take um and inwardly looking inwardly um you know we know that um we want the right people working for police we want the right people in thames valley police um but if there are people who are making mistakes we want to be able to get hold of them early if they're still the right people for policing then then we can work with them, then we can educate them and support them through. But um, yeah, so the conversation next week will all be about um, you know, Christmas, staying safe for Christmas and, and showing those appropriate behaviours, reminding officers that on or off duty, um, you have a responsibility to the uniform, to, to the, the code of ethics that we work to, to those, to those values. Um, uh, and then in the new year, um, we've got some other webinars coming up, like I said, with some of the other networks um, who, who want to talk about their issues. And, and I think that's that's great. And it is all making a difference because you told me, um, which is a great story, about you in the car for two of your two male colleagues. And whereas yeah. you've been chatting about the rugby and stuff. Yeah. But, how many hours talking about the menopause? I mean, that was um, that was surreal. All the way down to um, where were we going? Cardiff, South Wales, and it was literally the moment we we met each other at Cheveley Services, just on the M4 by Newbury, um, and literally within five minutes, we're talking about the menopause. Um, and yeah, I, I, when we got there, I think it was one of those moments. I think. The, the chap in the back um, was kind of taken to start with, but then he was fully immersed in the conversation. Um, and it's one of those where, uh, you know, I've definitely had eyebrows raised to me by friends outside of policing, by people inside of policing, say, why are you talking about the menopause? And, um, and, I, and I'm, you know, it's, it's, well, it's so obvious, isn't it? Because half of my team are women and, and some of them, might be coming up to the menopause or I'm, I'm not forcing a conversation on people don't get me wrong here but what I'm doing is just informing myself enough so that if I see some signs or if I hear something then I can engage properly in the conversation um, and the fact that the chap in the back on the way down told us um, that we could get discount for the medication that both of our wives were buying <laughs> that's not cheap <laughs> We were like, well, that's that's the best thing about opening up this conversation is we're saving some money. But yeah, we're, we're and it's one of those where I, I think it does put some men off engaging in the conversation. Lisa, sometimes is that worry about how we're perceived and talking about menopause to come back to that image of being that roughy tufty cop who kicks down doors and chases people in cars, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, doesn't really go with that, but actually um it does make me a much better copper um not just internally but if i'm going out into people's houses 
Um, and I'm dealing with women a lot who are subject to domestic violence. Well, what a difference in terms of my response and, um, uh, and like you said, the empathy that I can show. Um, uh, yeah, not, not a conversation um, that we were expecting. Do you think, because um, you can have, you can train people to spot signs that someone's struggling, um, but like we were saying earlier, individuals have also got to take responsibility for yep. yeah. environments, right? Do you think having the kinds of conversations that you're having via your webinars and podcasts and everything else that we're doing will help those people who are still determined to keep their mask on and not let anyone know really what's going on? Do you think that's going to start shifting things for them over time just like you said that there's somebody back who wasn't going to engage and then because you yeah. and the person are just chatting about it, it's like actually it feels okay to talk about it yeah i think there will probably always be those people that um just carry on under the mask whatever that mask is whether that's policing or not policing you know i think there will always always be um people that are very much in that camp and and won't change their view um i think that that greater portion of people will will listen will engage and will take some of it you know and it's like we said about about the breath work right that's not for everyone getting in cold in a barrel of cold water at half six in the morning is not for everyone i get that um but it, it at least if you take the sentiment from it then i think that's as much as we can ask, but yeah, for those for those blokes, and we know that there are those men within policing, outside of policing, who who probably won't engage. I, I'm not going to say we'll we'll give up and stop, but um, I think you know you have to you have to put your energies where you're going to get the most reward from them. Um, sometimes and, and it's not always um listening to myself talk there it's, it's not always a bad reason why people have those masks up you know it's not because they're remaining ignorant or because then they're denying something or there might be another reason which is why i think it's so crucial that we don't just stop um and carry on you can't have a blanket approach can you you've got no to, uh, no you've got to create the right opportunities the right experience for people yeah. to open up and show if they want to but actually not insist because as you say some people will want to have that mask on because that's their way of coping in that environment and actually yeah. often outside of work with other people yeah 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 definitely definitely i think, I think um what was also interesting in the podcast that a lot of talked about <laughs> with some humor wrapping his car around a tree yeah uh, falling asleep after shift and I thought yeah. I mean, he talked about it in a very um again it was, it was it was kind of one of those messages that was delivered with a kind of humor and um it's like wow this is just a really frank conversation but it also drives home really important messages about shift work for example yeah. and yeah. I was about how many examples you know, talked today about examples uh, that's specific to um policing such as you know what you're seeing and you know experiences you go to and so on but i think also there's so much of you know your the police are human beings who have the same financial worries relationships yeah. you know all this things that are very similar to the wider society so i think yeah. it's um again we have to break down that idea that the police are 
invincible group of people. Yeah. A bit like yeah. with leaders in an organization or whatever. We're very good at kind of putting people into a box and saying, well, they're the people who will behave like that and they don't they they're tougher than the rest of us. Or they don't have these same worries. And actually yeah. we do. Yeah. Yeah, very much. Yeah. Um and I think um yeah we've had some like I said at the start, some really tragic losses. Um uh, and and I kind of look back and remember driving back from Reading on the M4 to Newbury, um, you know, and and then all of a sudden you've gone past your turn off, but you can't remember going past the turn off. Um and they're horrible moments. Um and you know that you look at that self-responsibility and I feel tired. Should I be driving? Should I be doing this? Um, it's very easy after the moment to say, you know, that that build-up of working shifts, that build-up, that layering of stuff that's going on during the shift. And then everything, like you say, that's going on in the normal world. Because financially, yeah, we face the same worries. Um, you know, we face the same issues. Um, I think in a way... Um, and on the odd occasion I, I work from home sometimes I put the uniform on because even though people aren't seeing me once I put the uniform on I feel different about what I'm doing I hope that doesn't sound really weird but um, it, it's, it, it's, it is an identifying part of me and it is part of me that um, if, if I were to walk out the front of my house now I, I would feel very differently than if I was just in my hoodie. I'd still be, you know, I'm the archetypal copper. You can't miss me because I'm still looking for stuff. I'm still picking stuff up. They look dodgy. That looks wrong. But um, yeah, we are we are absolutely vulnerable to everything that you and everyone else and my wife and everyone is vulnerable to. Um, and I think you made a really good point earlier that we might have two people going to the same incident and you, and you don't know how they're going to react and don't know what from them. Because in reality, we all have very different experiences, yeah. you know, unique experiences outside of work. Yeah. And actually, yeah. we don't know how resilient someone is. If they've had a terrible night's sleep the night before, um, or they've got particular concerns which are weighing heavily on them, then yeah. they're less resilient to whatever happens at work so I think that that care at an individual level is so so important yeah. so I'd love to sort of as we wrap up think about advice like what would be your key nuggets of information to take away or put things that you can get other people to, to think about doing differently if they really want to show their workforce that they care and that actually prioritizing self-care and um, mental well-being is important i think you've genuinely got to stop put put down everything that you're doing and go and sit with your staff and go through yeah. and and really understand what it is they're going through you know we we sit and i sit sometimes my my force wide role um you know I'd, i look at that overarching policy i'm not on the ground doing the operational side of things um i think you need to put down what you're doing and go and see what they're going through and really remind yourself of those uh, of how difficult it is and, and and as good as your policies and process might be at speeding things up or making things more efficient certainly in policing terms 
um, doesn't change the fact that the the person I've just been to see who's been violently assaulted and killed is it's horrible. You can't take that picture away. Um, so I, I think it's really important that you do spend time, you do, and you do listen, Lisa, not, not go with an idea and just say, well, this is how it's going to be. Um, you actually listen to your staff um, and and then show that you have listened that, you know and it's tricky in in you know we're public service um uh, and we're very acutely aware that everything we spend my time and everything else we spend is public money um so we're really aware of that um at the same time like we said before if you if you want the best from your people if you really want um trusting people who feel valued coming through then um you you have to invest in them but yeah i th I, I think that that bit about actually spending time we are we are people people and and actually getting someone to come and sit with me and just listen to what i'm saying like i said about my my deputy chief constable um, it might be a five minute phone call, but to see his name come up on your phone and then it, hear him ask a question and then shut up and not say anything else and take away something that means the world. And that shows me that that level of care, um, which then means I'll carry on doing what I'm doing. I'll carry on being clumsy and awkward at times and and do that bit. I don't mind. Um, but um, yeah, and I think it's that is that humility piece that I've become comfortable with, I think, which is why I'm not, you know, my kids laugh. <laughs> I did, um, when I did the symposium the other week, um, I did a bit of breath work, or I, I thought I'll do an actual bit of breath work with the audience. We'll do two minutes of breath work, fundamental breathing, just calm it down, just to show them. And I thought, I'll just try it. I'll just talk it through with my wife and my daughter, just to see, I need to time it and, they were in stitches on the sofa. Uh, and I was like, well, I ain't gonna do this, am I? Why am I gonna go do this if everyone's gonna laugh at me? But then when I did it up on stage, and I'm obviously got my eyes open, but everyone closed everyone's eyes down and took them through some fundamental breath work. They all did it. And it was incredible. And a couple of the, the people, senior people there came up to me afterwards and said, best part of my day, I feel so chilled and relaxed. Um, but it is that that humility piece to say that going into someone's house and protecting them and saving their life or just stopping someone from hurting them, that's the important stuff. And that's where I've got to get it absolutely nailed on right. And that's what I'm really bothered about. If I make a fool of myself with this stuff, I don't, I really don't care. If it gives someone the confidence to talk about suicidal thoughts, to open up about having issues in their relationship, whatever it is, then, um, yeah, I, th I think going back to your question, that's that's the kind of stuff that I would want to see from, from my leaders. That is awesome advice. And lots of feedback from your wife and daughter. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I, I think that is, that, is a, that is an awesome place to finish, Stuart. I do. I do have one more question, which is going to take yeah. a 
completely off tangent now because this is a blind question which has nothing to do with anything we talked about today. So Sarah who is a um, phenomenal leader in a, um, and I spoke to her recently on the podcast, she's given me a, a blind question, which I think is a brilliant one for you, because I don't think it would have ever been asked before. If you were a biscuit, which would you be and why? Uh, I'm a fig roll. 100% a fig roll. Um, I, I think it's one of those, um, it, it's almost, I've not come across many people who like fig rolls. And when I do, the connection is so strong. Um, but um, yeah, maybe that's not the best description of me, but that that would be, that was who I would want to be, a fig roll, yeah. I was impressed with how quickly you came up with that, Stuart. <laughs> well, you have given cops, that cops tea and biscuits it's still you know you can change a lot of things technology moves on tea and biscuits it's still <laughs> Stuart, can I thank you very very thank much you. for your time today because it has been such an awesome conversation I've loved what you've said I've loved how you've actually got across really important messages um and I'm hoping that may, um, will make people think twice about their approach to you know we're too senior or too we don't need this stuff. It's like actually, but you in your role, um, kind of you know, shouting about this particular agenda and getting really behind it and doing it in a really, really authentic way, which I think is what makes all the difference people relate. Um, we've seen that today. So thank you ever so much. And yeah. keep us posted with your podcast and things like that. Yes, we'll do. Thanks, Stuart. Thank you. Thanks, Lisa. I hope you enjoyed the conversation today. I invite you to think about one thing that you will take away to think about or do differently. I'd be really grateful if you can give me a thumbs up on Apple or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And for an extra brownie point, leave me a short review. I'm really keen to help drive real change for better practice in the world of people at work and spreading the message will help that. I'd love you to also join the club to stay in the loop and be the first to hear about exciting things that I'm developing, including free downloadable resources. Please do reach out to me directly to discuss the topics covered on this podcast or perhaps other challenges around people at work. And if we're not already acquainted on LinkedIn, please connect. All the links you need are in the show notes. Until next time, bye for now.